We're getting near the end of our series. We've been looking uh, over the summer at uh, people who met Jesus, encounters with Jesus, uh, just different people uh, from different walks of life who met Jesus as he was uh, preaching and living on, on his earthly ministry. And today's incident occurs uh, as Jesus was passing through Judea. He was near uh, <clears throat> the River Jordan on his way to Jerusalem. In the last few weeks of his life, heading to Jerusalem where he would, he would die uh, for us. And of course crowds flocked to see him uh, as usual. And people brought children to see Jesus. Just the way we heard the children there. Children say pretty silly things. Pretty parents are worried about what they're going to say. What are they going to say to Jesus? And Jesus welcomed them. His disciples tried to shoo them away. And Jesus said, no, no, let them come. And he blessed them and he said, you know, you have to receive the kingdom of God just the way these children receive it. Uh, simply, but with simple faith that they come along uh, to Jesus. Well, in the crowd, there was a man dying to answer a question. And he, he just couldn't get the opportunity. He, I think he thought that his time had passed to ask a question. You know, if you've ever been at a meeting, remember we used to have meetings. Uh, if you've been to a meeting and you have a question to a- a- ask and you just can't get the attention of the, or all somebody else gets in before you, you can't get the attention of the, the, the chairperson and you just can't get that question asked. Or like a child at school, eager, eager to ask a question or get, give an answer. Well, th- this man just, just couldn't seem to get his time. And Jesus got up to leave and he seized his opportunity. And we're going to read about that in, in Mark chapter 10. <clears throat> uh, the folk at home will be confused because apparently on the recording I said Luke chapter 10. Uh, But it is definitely Mark chapter 10. That's where we are. I don't know why I said that. Uh, So let's read uh, from verse 17 down to verse 27. Now we'll just think about this for for a few moments uh, this morning. We promise we wouldn't be very long uh, in our our messages. This is Mark chapter 10, uh, beginning at verse 17. This is God's word. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven, a kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. We leave it there at verse 27 for now. Well, Jesus, uh, or sorry, Mark tells us that uh, this young man was rich. Uh, And Matthew tells us that that he was young, in fact. We we probably think he was in his 20s or 30s, but people didn't live as long back in Jesus' day. So a young man would have been uh, probably late 20s, early 30s. And Luke tells us that he was a ruler. Uh, That was the the general term. Andrew, can I move on here? There we go. Just to get the title up there. Sorry, I should put that up earlier. I've got another way of doing this here. Um, we know that he was a ruler. Luke tells us he's a ruler, which was just a, a, like a local official. 
So he was someone quite well thought of in society. He had a good position, he he was wealthy, uh, and he was young. And he'd been watching Jesus bless the children and listen to him. So this man who had become known, we, we always know him as the rich young ruler now, here he was listening to Jesus, speaking to the children, and he had this urgent question uh, for, for Jesus. And, and here's the question he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You, you've, been, you've been speaking to the children, you've been telling them about, about following you, but, but, but what about me? What, what must I do? So Jesus said to him, well, you know what the commandments say. Um, Honour your, your father and your mother, don't steal, don't defraud people, uh, don't kill. All the commandments that, that deal with how we, we uh, react with, with one another, how we relate to one, one another. And he lists, he lists, Jesus lists all of these. And the young man said, well, I've kept all these since I was a boy. I've done my best. You know, these are, these are, I know God's teaching. He must have grown up in a Jewish home. He knew God's teaching and he knew how to live. And some people see arrogance there. Some people say, well, he's very self-righteous, he's very full of himself. But Jesus obviously didn't, because Jesus didn't condemn him. In fact, Mark tells us that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Now, the, the Pharisees and the, the religious leaders would often come to Jesus with a question, which they weren't interested in the answer, they were trying to trick Jesus. We've seen that lots of times during the summer. But this young man had a genuine question, and Jesus loved him. And he knew that he wasn't just trying to be very smart. But Jesus saw one big flaw in this young man's life. And he said to him, there's one thing you lack. You need to uh, give away all your possessions. You've got, you've got far too much stuff. Give that away. Uh, sell it. Give the money to the poor. And then come, come and follow me. Jesus knew that his possessions meant so much to him. That they were going to be a problem as he sought to follow uh, Jesus. You see... When Jesus pointed out the commandments to the man, he talked about uh, those commandments that deal with one another. The the second half of the commandments, about how we relate to one another. And this young man said, well, actually, you know what? I I, I do my best to to fulfill those commandments. But then Jesus said, "Uh, the problem is with your money and your possessions. You see, he was making an idol out of those, uh, his position, his possessions, all that he had. And Jesus was really pointing out to him the second commandment that you shall not make for yourself any idol. An idol is just anything that comes between us and God, anything we value more highly than God himself, or try to put alongside God, something that is in our lives is just as important as God. And that young man probably wouldn't have seen his money as an idol. He would have thought of idols as some of these statues that people worship, gods that aren't gods at all. He would never have probably thought that his position or his possessions were in any way idols to him. But, but Jesus knew that that wasn't the case. Jesus knew that his position in life and all that he had, his wealth, meant uh, took first place in his life. And of course, Jesus was right. Because the young man went away sad. He wanted to follow Jesus. And he asked Jesus, how do I inherit uh, the kingdom of God? How do I enter God's kingdom? But, but when Jesus told him the answer, the cost was too great. And he went away sad. And I imagine that Jesus was sad to see him go. Uh, If Jesus loved him, I imagine that Jesus was was sorry that he didn't turn and follow him. But he didn't call him back and say, wait a minute, let's let's negotiate. Maybe I've been a bit bit harsh there. Uh, Maybe we can reach a compromise. No, no, Jesus let him go because following Jesus has to come first. Has to come first before uh, everything else. And that's why Jesus commented, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's like trying to get a camel through the eye of a needle. He says, it's nearly impossible. 
because those riches just prevent someone from seeing their need or from being willing to pay the price. And of course, the disciples were amazed because wealth was seen as a blessing from God. And they said, well, God has blessed this man and made him wealthy. So if he can't be saved, what hope is there for the rest of us? And that's where Jesus said, with God, all things are possible. Even if it seems humanly impossible, there is no one who can't become a follower of God if God allows them and encourages them and strengthens them and enables them. We left out one verse there. Uh, just on the way past, just, just to mention very, very briefly, it's caused um, the, the experts problems for, for years and years. We're not going to get too bogged down in this morning. When Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. The only thing I'm, I'm going to say to you is maybe, maybe Jesus was simply saying, by calling me good, you're acknowledging that, that I am God, which is what he was telling people all along. This was, he was constantly saying that he was the son of God, the son of man, as he called himself. Uh, so perhaps that what, what, what he meant there. But as I say, you can go and look it up. The, the, many people have debated that for, for many years. Why, why did Jesus say only God is good when we know that Jesus is good? But just, just to let you know, I hadn't, I hadn't missed that verse. I know it's there, but it, it's a tricky one. Uh, and uh, we're not get too bogged down in it this morning. But I just want to suggest three questions for us, very, very briefly. That man had a very important question for Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What are three questions we could ask today? Very crucial questions. Here's the first one. First one is, am I trying to earn my salvation by doing the right things? Am I trying to earn my own salvation? You see, the man's question contained a fatal flaw. He said, what what must I do? What, What must I do? How can I achieve my salvation? He was genuinely trying to achieve his salvation by obeying the law. He was doing all the right things. Jesus didn't say what you're doing is wrong. But Paul the great expert in the, the law, when he was writing to the Romans, said, no one can be declared righteous by obeying the law, or no one can be saved by obeying the law. We can never clean up our lives to make them acceptable to God. Isaiah, in the Old Testament, said that all, all our righteous acts, all the good things we do, are, are like filthy rags before God. They're nothing compared to God's holiness. And it's right to lead a good life, of course. And you, you and I know lots of people who live really good, upright lives, who may have no faith, no time for God, whatever. It's good to do that, but it doesn't achieve our, our salvation. Many people today uh, live lives, uh, uh, they try to be good, and they hope that maybe they'll have done enough that God will look on them with, with, with kindness, with favor. Uh, our, our Muslim friends very much live that way, trying to, to, to live lives uh, so that the, the, the good things they do will outweigh the bad things, almost like a balance that the, the scales will tip in the right direction. But the Bible tells us that that's just impossible. Good as it is to, to obey the commandments, good as it is to live an upright life, we just can never achieve our salvation because we can never deal with that sin that spoils our lives. That's why Paul writes to the Ephesians, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's not what we can do, because we can't do anything. Salvation can only be received as a gift from God. It can never be achieved by our own efforts. We simply need to turn to God in repentance, acknowledge our sin, acknowledge our our inability to do anything about our sin. But then the good news is, Paul again writes to the Romans, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. No one who genuinely comes to God and asks uh, for salvation will, will be turned away. The children were accepted by, by simple faith, the children that Jesus had been speaking to. And they had nothing to offer him. They had nothing to bring to Jesus. They simply came in faith. The, the old hymn writer uh, writing to him, um, Rock of Ages, 
has, includes the line, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross uh, I cling. And maybe that's a message that, that you have for uh, friends, for, for colleagues, for people you know, for family members, who, who, who really try, try to live a good life in the hope that God will, will somehow accept them. That the good things they do will outweigh the bad things. The message for them is simply that you can't, you can't achieve salvation, but, but you don't have to. Because that has been achieved for us by Jesus. And the second question is, are there idols preventing me from following Jesus? Now that's a question maybe for, for, for some of those people that you know. If it's not a question for you yourself, what, what would stop you following Jesus? Uh, certainly this young man uh, put all his possessions before Jesus and, and his position and his status in society. I wonder if the things so important in your life that you couldn't possibly give them up. And Jesus' demands may seem extreme. Um, the young man felt that certainly today as he went away sad and that word sad actually means grieving he went away grieving he grieved at the cost of following Jesus he just thought that this is a bigger cost than, than I can, I'm willing to pay but you see Jesus knew all about cost he used exactly the same word when he prayed in Gethsemane just a few weeks later before he died uh, on the cross he prayed my soul is deeply grieved with sorrow to the point of death exactly the same word my soul is grieved with sorrow. Jesus was grieved at what it was going to cost him to achieve our salvation. This young man grieved at what it would cost him to follow Jesus, but Jesus uh, knew what his, our salvation would cost him. Uh, and he grieved, he was sorrowful as he spoke to God uh, just before he was crucified. You see, Jesus demands everything, but he was willing to give everything. He gave everything for us. When he asks us to, to pay a price for following him, that there be a cost in following him. It's nothing compared to the cost which he was willing to pay. And Jesus himself said, what good is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? That young man went away sad thinking of what he would lose rather than thinking of what he would gain. We have to remember that uh, whatever we give up is worth it because everything we have is transient, is temporary. But our salvation is eternal. God's kingdom is eternal. Jim Elliot was a graduate of Wheaton College in America, a very gifted young man, and he was offered a staff position teaching in the college, but instead he went off to Ecuador to work on Bible translation, and he was tragically killed when he was only 28. When he was 22, he wrote this in his journal, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool to give, uh, who gives that what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. I'm sure many people said to him, why are you going off? Why would you go off to Ecuador? Why would you waste your life? You've, you've, got, you've got all the, the position in front of you here, all the opportunities. Why, why would you do that? Uh, and he was willing to give that up. And ultimately to give up his life uh, not long after he arrived in, in that country. Well, what if you're already a follower of Jesus? You may say, well, I've been following Jesus for years. I don't have, I, I don't have anything that prevents me following him. Uh, at least not things that come between me and him. Uh, are there idols that hinder you as you try to follow Jesus? Are there idols which hinder you? Not, not, not prevent you following, but which hinder you in, in your following? Go to the next one there, Andrew. Are there idols hinder me? That's something we all have to ask ourselves. Are there things that hinder me as I follow Jesus? I, I know I've, I've told him I, I pay the price. I know I've told him I give up. I know I've told him that he comes first. We live in a materialistic world, very materialistic part of the world, in the Western world, uh, here in North Down East Belfast, and it's really hard not to be influenced by our society. It's really hard not to be influenced by the advertisers, by, by what people around us have. 
Uh, it's not hard to, to want more, to, to, to want more possessions, to, to want to feel comfortable, to just be absolutely secure in, in what we have. Many live for money, of course. Many want more and more money. Many dream of having money. That's why the National Lottery is so, so important to people every week. People just dream of that magic win that will set them free from debt and so on. And money does allow us to feel a certain security. It gives us possessions. It allows us to have maybe better education for our children, to have better health care, to live in a nice house and so on. There's no doubt that money gives a certain security. It is very attractive. And Jesus did speak a lot about the lure of possessions. Uh, he said this, he said, no one can serve two masters, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You, you just cannot do it. None of us can do it. It's either God or money and, and our possessions. And that's been a problem right from the earliest time of the church. Uh, because here's what Paul said writing to Timothy, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So even in the earliest days of the church, Paul said, some people are so eager for money that they've actually wandered away from the faith. They, they maybe started off following Jesus and they've been lured back by the desire to, to earn and the desire to have things. Uh, and that can be true of us. The danger is not just money. You may say, well, I don't care too much about money or possessions. But for us, it can be all sorts of things. It can be our career. It can be our children. It can be our, 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 our sport, our leisure activities, things that, that we want to give our time to. Uh, things that we, we think are, are, are so important to us, uh, uh, but we'll not let them interfere with our relationship with God. But if we're honest, sometimes those things can do. Sometimes we're far more willing to put the time into, whether it's studying or working for a promotion in work or, or getting that extra something that we think we need. We're more eager to do that. We're more willing to make a sacrifice for that than we are for the God whom we claim to love and to serve. We've got to be really careful that things which are not harmful in themselves, not wrong in themselves, don't become idols to us. Every one of us has to do that. We constantly have to look and say, is Jesus first? Or are we doing really what that young man did? In a way, are we saying, like that? that's a price too big for me to pay, and gradually walking away from our faith. Um, another early hymn writer, William Cowper, in his hymn over A Closer Walk with God, said this, the dearest idol I have known Whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. That, that, that's what the, the hymn writer said. He said, whatever it is that, that would stop me from worshiping you, help me to get rid of it. Help me to take it from the place that it should be yours and help me to worship you. And that's something we, we all need to do constantly. Even as you think of coming back to church, you, you got into the way of, on a Sunday morning, I'm sure, being about the house doing, doing whatever you like, like doing and half ten you think I must get the laptop ready or the TV ready or whatever to watch the service and then it's over you're back to your coffee or, or whatever even coming out on a Sunday morning I don't know what, what you thought you thought okay right in the car off to, to church which is great to be back but there's a small cost in getting back there's a cost in following Jesus uh, and we have to be willing to put him first uh, before all else. Let me finish with a very well-known words of uh, C.T. Studd, the cricketer. Uh, came from a very pr- privileged background. He went to Eton, Cambridge. Uh, he played cricket for England in the 1882 test, which led to the, the start of the Ashes competition. Uh, and he became a Christian while he was at school. Uh, and he inherited a fortune from his father, all of which he gave away to Christian work, including the orphanage run by uh, George Miller. 
uh, and he devoted his entire life to Christian mission. He could have been very comfortable, prosperous in business, but he committed all, all of his life to mission, and he famously said this, if Jesus, oh, where we? There we go. if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. If you think of the price that Jesus paid, of how he agonized before he went to the cross for us, that's the price he was willing to pay for you and for me. What would we allow to come between us and him to prevent us from giving everything, to serving him, to living for him, the one who gave all for us? That's a message for each of us. Just to be very careful that we don't, we don't allow things to come between us and God, just to gradually, subtly sneak into our lives and distract us from serving the one who gave all for us. And there's a message we have for, for those whom we work with day by day, uh, those whom we, we know, decent, nice people that we meet, who maybe think that somehow their, their lives can be cleaned up and that God will look at them with, with favor, to say to them, you know what, there's nothing you can do to achieve your salvation, but there's nothing you need to do except to turn to the one who gave his life, the one who was sinless, who paid for our sin so that we could be forgiven and enter God's kingdom. That's a message which we have. That's, that, that's why we, we, we come to worship God. We come to worship the one who gave what was dearest to him uh, so that we could be set free from our sin uh, and know him and love him. Let's pray together just and give God thanks. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our salvation. Thank you that there is nothing that we have to do uh, because there's nothing that we could do to please you. We know that we could never have earned our salvation. We, we don't deserve it. And we simply thank you that Jesus came and agonized in the garden about what was going to happen to him and then went to the cross, uh, endured the the shame, endured the the pain uh, and endured separation from you, his heavenly father, so that we would never have to uh, endure that separation. We we thank you for him who paid such a price uh, for us. Thank you for giving us your dear son. And we pray that you'll help us to commit our lives fully to following him and not to allow anything else to come between between us and him, nothing else to take uh, your place or to come anywhere near uh, being beside you in our lives. And Father, we pray that you help us to bring that message to people who need to hear it, people who, who strive and, and struggle to live lives that are acceptable to you. Help us to, to be able to share with them the good news that the price has been paid, uh, that there's nothing they need to do, but that the cost is their lives committed to you the one who committed yourself to us. So, Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for blessing us as we've uh, met ordinary people who had encounters with Jesus in his earthly ministry. And we pray that we may constantly have encounters with him ourselves in our daily lives uh, that will enable us to know him better, to love him more, and to live for him. And, Father, we pray that our lives will bring glory uh, through Jesus to you. And we ask it in his name. Amen.